Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring boundary pushers, rabble-rousers, freaks, and geeks who are shaking up the $24 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and I'm joined by my good friend and Promo Kitchen's fearless president, Robert Fiveash. In today's episode, we explore the world of distribution, fulfillment, and logistics. End client marketing needs have split our industry in two. On one hand, we have custom dropship orders that never touch a distributor's office, while on the other hand, we have complex company store models that require distribution and fulfillment oversight. The latter category is what we explore today with our guest, Harry Thetford. Harry is the Distribution Center General Manager at Dollar Tree Stores based in Chesapeake, Virginia. While Harry is not directly involved in the promotional products industry, he manages a 400,000 square foot retail distribution center supporting 300 mid-Atlantic Dollar Tree stores. In this capacity, he has a unique view of distribution and fulfillment trends that also impact our industry. We wanted to share this fascinating conversation with the Promo Kitchen community. We hope you enjoy. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Harry Thetford to the Promo Kitchen podcast. Harry, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Mark and Robert. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. So, Harry, you currently run logistics for Dollar Tree in the Mid-Atlantic region. Can you tell me what this role entails? Sure. More precisely, I run the Mid-Atlantic Distribution Center for Dollar Tree. So we support approximately 300 Dollar Tree stores across Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, Delaware, and a little bit into West Virginia. So to make that happen, I'm responsible for the staffing, operations, and financial aspects of, of our distribution center. So my distribution center is located in Chesapeake, Virginia, right next door to the Dollar Tree Family Dollar Corporate Headquarters. And as you may or may not know, Dollar Tree started right here in the Norfolk, Virginia area and has grown over the years. And so I have the luxury of being located right next door to corporate headquarters. You had mentioned in the lead up to this that you had a background in the Navy as a supply officer. And one of the things I thought was really neat about your background, Harry, is that you had spent some time selling branded merchandise aboard some of the ships. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. Navy ships generally have a small ship store on board. And of course, emblematic items, t-shirts, coffee mugs, ball caps, things like that are big sellers. And so one of the jobs of the supply officer on board a ship is to run the ship store. You're picking merchandise for the crew. And again, the t-shirts and the ball caps are big sellers. Everybody wants them for Christmas gifts and to wear to show a little uh, ship pride. But one thing I found was that it was a challenge to find good quality products. There seemed to be a couple companies on the waterfront that had the lock on the ships. Mm. It was a challenge to go out and then find you know good quality shirts and design a good emblem and, and put them on there. But when we did that, we found they were very popular with the crew. Well, I mean, we've got a great provider in Brand Fuel. I think that they could probably help you out. <laughs> I agree. I, I wish I had known Robert when I was on my ship here in Norfolk. That would have been a great connection to have. That's really funny. So, Harry, we're just curious, were you called on by a kind of a traditional promotional products distributor? Is that how you procured your merchandise? 
Yes. I won't mention their names, but there's a couple companies in Norfolk and I'm sure San Diego and other big fleet concentration areas that they market towards the ships. And a lot of times the sailors on board the ships, they're not from the area, so they don't know the local companies and they don't have connections. So they tend to turn to the first provider they see. So those companies are well-versed to how the Navy does business. And so there's like two or three companies that tend to get the bulk of the business from the ship. Right. So unless they take the extra step to go reach out and find other companies, they tend to miss out on those opportunities. Right. Moving back into the world of logistics and distribution, Harry, from your vantage point right now at Dollar Tree, what trends are you seeing in the distribution space in 2019? Being fairly new to the retail distribution world, in some ways, I feel like a kid right out of college, just learning the business and, and learning all that's going on around. But two things jump out at me here of late. First, of course, would be automation. You know, there's just a tremendous change going on in the robotics and artificial intelligence and how to incorporate that into a distribution center. And so I kind of wonder, you know, how deep should a company jump in with the current technology given that tremendous rate of change. You know, you'd hate to go out and, and scope out this big project and pay for it and install it. And, you know, a year later when you get it up and running, it's already obsolete in some regards. So that's a big opportunity, but I think you got to know what you're getting into before you jump in. And the second, I think, is just the evolving distribution pipeline. Yeah. You know, is the, the huge regional distribution center that supports hundreds of stores, is that the right model? More and more, I see retailers starting to brand their stores as a fulfillment center, as a miniature fulfillment center. Right. For the customer, they're increasing the utilization of that existing real estate and those employees. So I think we're going to really see some dynamic changes over the next couple of years as far as the distribution pipeline. Right. And I have one question, and then I want to turn it over to Robert. I'm trying to build a bridge between your world, Harry, in the world of retail distribution where you're supplying retail stores that ultimately distribute to consumers. The promotional products industry is a little bit different because we're primarily B2B, but many promotional products companies like Brandfuel have increasingly complex corporate program stores where distributors are taking stock of inventory and they're in charge of managing the logistics of taking online orders and then ultimately shipping that product out to a variety of places across the US, Canada, and increasingly across the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's the bridge I'm building right now. And I know that you operate at a massive scale because you're in a multi-billion dollar universe. But if we try to bring it back to promotional products, I think one of the things that I've really noted is that logistics are messy, they're expensive, and they're often a real barrier to entry to a lot of people in this business. Are you seeing ways to simplify things and control the chaos that we see in logistics today? Or is it only getting worse and more expensive? Or are there things that may be able to simplify things to allow for a better experience on the logistics end? Well, we had a saying in the Navy, or it's actually a famous quote, that the reason the U.S. Navy does so well in wartime is that war is chaos. And the U.S. Navy practices chaos on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, people ask me if I miss the Navy, but in many ways I found working in distribution to be very similar to being in the Navy in that yeah. chaotic. And as our customers become more demanding, 
us in logistics, we're going to need to find a way to make that happen while identifying and controlling the costs. And at the end of the day, Navy logistics was all about providing more flexibility to the operational forces. And in retail logistics, it's the same way. We got to find cost-efficient ways to provide flexibility to meet our customer needs. So bottom line, I don't see it becoming any simpler or less chaotic. I think if you work in logistics, you're going to need to be prepared for a, a dynamic decade and, you know, strap in and hang on. It's going to be a turbulent ride. Yeah. Does that depress you, Robert? <laughs> no, I mean, I think, as Harry said, if you can handle the chaos and you're well-equipped, I think you'll get through certainly better than some of your competitors. But Harry, you mentioned, you know, a decade of chaos. It reminded me of this whole theme of sort of the robots taking over and, and Amazon investing so much in logistics and warehousing and that sort of thing. And they, at, at some point recently, I think, said that it's going to be at least a decade before, you know, really the, they'll have a fully automated warehouse. So a little bit of hope to some folks out there that think about those things. But I'm curious what sort of investments you all are making on the robotic side, the AI you mentioned, et cetera. You know, you guys obviously have some sort of metrics that you measure in terms of headcount per order shipped and, and that sort of thing. Is that dropping over time? Have you noticed that that's dropping? And is there a critical point where it can no longer drop any lower or are you shooting for zero? What's the ultimate goal there? I run the oldest and the smallest distribution center in the Dollar Tree Network, so we're somewhat limited in terms of potential automation and, and expansion. However, across our network, we are looking into automation, which is you know just amazing. You know, Dollar Tree, we're selling things for a dollar, yet we are investing in some automation in some of our larger distribution centers to lower that cost per case and increase our cartons per hour. Those are kind of the two big metrics that I'm graded on, how much it costs me to ship a case and how many cartons I can ship out per labor hour. So every distribution center is set up a little differently. You know, the goal is to get it as low as possible, increase the cartons per hour to the maximum and decrease the cost per case down. How low we can get that, I don't know. But as the world in Amazon and logistics comes more dynamic, you're going to have to be efficient to be competitive. And so we are installing an automated storage and retrieval system in one of our larger DCs. And I think that investment in the future is very exciting. And we're going to take those lessons learned and use that as we shape and build our future distribution centers. That's fascinating. So do you have any experience in the technology involved in both the software and the hardware of, of that automation? Or are there others involved that kind of take that role? Yeah, there are people much smarter than me in the automation world and the software world. I had a little bit of exposure to it in the Navy, installing new systems, more modern systems on our ships and ashore warehouses. But no, I'm not directly involved in that. I think it's fascinating. I don't have the patience or the talent or the engineering background to do that kind of stuff, though. Got it. So obviously, as Mark mentioned, and all of us know that are listening to this, Dollar Tree sells products at a dollar price point. And Obviously, a portion of that dollar is the product cost, and a portion of that is everything else. So the logistics, the fulfillment, the warehousing, et cetera. I think we're curious because it kind of falls in line with our businesses as well. What percentage of that dollar is the product cost? What percentage of that is the fulfillment and distribution? And I'm curious whether headquarters is you know, pushing both sides of that, so the team product and team distribution. Are they pushing both equally as hard to lower their percentage? 
Uh, great question. And the percentage is going to vary by product, obviously, and, and I'm not knowledgeable enough to know that percentage. But the way I look at it, the fulfillment portion of that price is always too high. We're always working to get it a little bit lower. So every day we strive to drive down our operating costs in the distribution center. And I think the company definitely pressures both to lower the cost, but I think the onus is on the distribution side because we have more room to work with. We're buying things that we're going to sell for a dollar, so there's not a lot of wiggle room in there. So the merchants do what they can, but the real pressure, I think, is on the distribution pipeline to lower cost and become more efficient. So, you know, some of the big challenges we face nowadays are labor. With the low unemployment rate across the country and upward pressure on wages, we're in a daily battle for talent, and the competition's pretty tight. I have a pretty good situation in Chesapeake, but some of our other distribution centers are located right next to other distribution centers and new distribution centers that are being opened up. So the competition for the workforce is really tough these days. That makes sense. Thank you. Harry, I don't think any conversation about logistics would be complete without talking about Amazon. Amazon has made a lot of noise about their ability to ship and fulfill orders on behalf of third parties. Is there ever a time when you would see outsourcing what you do at Dollar Tree to Amazon, or is that a ridiculous scenario? It's difficult for me to imagine a company like Dollar Tree outsourcing to a company like Amazon. Just the flexibility that's inherent with an organic supply chain is hard to beat for an innovative company. You got that talent within the company to talk about things and change things and drive that innovation. Obviously, that comes at a cost, but I think that ownership is hard to let go of. Right. But that said, you know, never say never. And if the scale and service level truly presents a value proposition, then that may become an attractive option. You know, we're continually looking at how we do business and building a five-year plan and, and looking at all the different options out there. So I won't say it's off the table. Right. I, I just have a hard time imagining that. Yeah. If I were in your shoes, I would have a hard time imagining as well. Certainly, there's some very significant competitive pressures from an Amazon that also sells products like yours. So getting in bed with them from a logistics standpoint might be awkward at best. But it's interesting, and Robert, I'll throw this question at you, given that you handle your own logistics. I know it's through a third party, but ultimately, let's say that you're handling your logistics much like Harry is when it comes to your company store programs. Has the idea of partnering with an Amazon for outsourced logistics and fulfillment, has that ever been something that has crossed your plate? And maybe you could speak for brand fuel or maybe just even the industry at large as to whether that is starting to represent a potential reality, given how easy Amazon suggests it is to work through their third-party fulfillment. We have in-housed our fulfillment over our 20 years. We've outsourced it. We've gone back and forth and back and forth several times over, over the last 20 years. And the truth is, and Harry knows this best, fulfillment and distribution is really, really hard, especially if a third party is doing it for you and doesn't yep. necessarily understand the details of your business. Lots of miscommunication, lots of mispricing. You know, they think the scope is this, it turns out to be that. Halfway through the, you know, the endeavor, they're wanting to raise prices, et cetera. So I honestly would say that because it is so challenging to find really good fulfillment partners, those that make you look good and don't you know, do the opposite. 
I think we would consider really any option. Obviously, getting in bed with a, a potential competitor is never appealing, but I think at the end of the day, if the client is getting a, a bad experience with the way that you're doing it today and would get a much better experience having you change the way that you handle the distribution, I think we would consider anything that makes that client stick here. Right. I raised that question, Robert and Harry, because we know in the promotional products industry, Robert, that there's a lot of discussion about Amazon and, you know, is Amazon a threat? Is Amazon an opportunity for us? Is Amazon both? And I think the reality is it probably is both. But it's interesting, most of our conversations about Amazon have always been Amazon's going to come in, sell direct, make it so easy and cheap that no customer will ever buy from a traditional distributor again. But we often don't talk about Amazon from a back-end infrastructure perspective from logistics. And if that has the ability to allow a smaller distributor to spin up a fulfillment company store program and outsource it to an Amazon, maybe even use their technology as well for the store, that may be an interesting, compelling option. As I say, I'm not advertising that or promoting it. It's just interesting to hear us talk about that. Yeah, Uh, I was just going to say, in the Navy, he outsourced several different programs to third-party providers. You know, some worked out well, some worked out not so well, but I think every one of them were more expensive than we projected. Right. And I think that's the problem. You find a good, solid third-party provider that can meet your needs and your quality needs but it's going to be expensive. And that's the rub, I think. Right. And that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, Mark, you know about this book project that I had for a charity. Yep. We were trying to sell a $50 book. And one of the things that we considered was fulfilling it through Amazon's services. And at the end of the day, Amazon would have taken a third of the price of that book in all of the different fees. And at the end of the day, it was absolutely more expensive than the option that we ended up choosing by a factor of five, I think. And the truth is, you know, what you get with that is Amazon Prime and one day delivery and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, especially for a charitable project, 15 bucks of a $50 book can't go to Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, I think what I'm taking from this is that you need to be smart with the size of your program. You need to be smart with how it is you optimize your logistics. So that way you're getting the best value, whether it's bringing it in-house, whether it's outsourcing to a third party, or maybe Amazon is the right solution depending on the certain kind of project. This podcast has been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and SportTech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. So. On the topic of costs, Harry, I've got a question for you about tariffs and how it's certainly impacting the promotional products industry, but I can imagine it's also affecting the industry that you're in. What percentage of your product is imported from China and how are you going to handle the increase in costs, noting that your goal is to sell everything at or below a dollar? Yeah. So while I'm not directly involved with that, Tariffs were certainly a topic of conversation at numerous meetings I was able to sit in on. Currently, 40% of our merchandise is imported. So everything we can do to mitigate the tariff impact is important. And we've worked that from several different angles. 
you know, we continually look at what we buy, where we buy it, when we buy it, when we ship it. And I know we've made some moves to shift some of our sources to other countries than China, and they're working on that. And we have, as much as possible, rearranged shipment timeframes to mitigate the impact of the tariffs. You know, that has a downwind cost, obviously, because you map out your volume, your inbound and your outbound volume. And if all of a sudden you have a surge of inbound volume, you've got to receive and process. That's a, an additional cost you weren't expecting. So you got to manage that. So I would say we've been pretty successful so far. The future is going to be interesting and it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Very good. Harry, I was watching a documentary not too long ago on Ford Motor Company and, and there, I guess a side piece of that documentary was how vertically integrated the company was. Steel mills, planting rubber trees down in South America, coal mines in Appalachia. I mean, it was just fascinating, that concept and what that did for industry in this country, at least. Curious how vertically integrated you all are in terms of, you know, do you own your own trucking company? Do you own your buildings, the stores? Do you own any of the, the factories overseas, et cetera? Curious how that works for you all. Well, I can speak to the distribution piece. I'm not well-versed in upstream, how we are vertically integrated. We do outsource the store delivery portion. So a business partner that delivers to my 300 stores, we work very closely with them. They operate out of my building, and they own the trucks, they own the trailers. They make the deliveries every day. They bring the empty trailers back, and we load them up, and we do it all over again. And we also have a very interesting opportunity in the future. Dollar Tree purchased Family Dollar about three years ago. Right now, it's basically two separate supply chains. So over the next couple of years, we will be looking to integrate and synergize those supply chains. And so back to the question about technology, you know, there's people a lot smarter than me that are crunching those numbers to see where outsourcing makes sense to where, you know, vertical integration with another company, buying that company or whatever makes sense. So we'll see how that plays out also. I know on the family dollar side, they own their own trucks and they make their own deliveries. Dollar Tree, on the other hand, is outsourced. So we'll see when they crunch the numbers, which one makes the most sense. Yeah, that is fascinating. You know, there's a, a ton of M&A going on in our business. And, you know, the fact that you all bought Family Dollar a couple of years ago, $8.5 billion acquisition, 8,000 locations, 60,000 employees. I mean, it's just mind boggling to me you know, the task at hand to integrate that. And you touched on it a bit, but do you have a five-year plan to be fully integrated or do you think these two companies are best suited operating a bit separately? For now, we're going to operate with two separate brands. The Dollar Tree stores and the Family Dollar stores are a little different, different product mix, different price points. Family Dollar is multiple price points. Dollar Tree is single price point. But corporate, they are working on the five-year plan, finalizing that. And that'll reveal a lot of detail on what they're going to go, how they're going to go that route. But for now, we're supporting 15,000 stores across the two brands across the country with 23 distribution centers. So there's absolutely a lot of room to synergize there and improve that. And as we build new distribution centers, which we're opening at a rate of about one per year, they will be more and more integrated as far as the software that's involved and the processes that are involved so we can eventually get to a point where we can plug and play our talent from a family dollar distribution center to a Dollar Tree distribution center and vice versa. But right now, they're pretty much two separate supply chains. 
That's fascinating. You mentioned, I think, earlier in the conversation that more and more retail locations, whether it's yours or kind of retail in general, are, are acting as fulfillment houses for the brand or for the company. Is there a trend to you all creating the new stores with a larger footprint to act more as kind of a mini distribution or at least to hold more inventory? Or does that not make economic sense? I am not privy on those discussions. I know they look at all kinds of options. I have a hard time imagining that playing out. Generally, you'll find the most successful Dollar Trees are in a strip mall, a small location, and where the customers need them. And so building a bigger store, that's a whole different ballgame. We do offer, it's called Dollar Tree Direct, and a customer can go online to dollartree.com, place an order for a case of merchandise. They can't order a single item, but they can order a case. And they can either have that UPS to their home or deliver it to their local store where they can pick it up. So in a small way, we are using the stores as a fulfillment center, and Family Dollar is also establishing that program. So we'll probably be a growth area. I'm just not sure how that's going to play out. Makes sense. Harry, a lot like the promotional products industry, a lot of what you sell in your stores is plastic, and a fair amount of it is single use and can end up in landfills, or at least a portion of it. Is that something that you're addressing in any way with either recycling programs or requiring a certain percentage of your supplier base to use recycled materials? I'm not knowledgeable on the supplier piece. I can speak to the distribution piece. In the distribution center, we process a lot of plastic shrink wrap and cardboard and wooden pallets, and we recycle those. Of course, that's good for the environment. It's also good for our bottom line as it lowers our waste disposal cost. Right. The stores also recycle as much as possible. So in that regard, yes, we're always looking for ways to reduce the amount of waste we generate and, if possible, recycle. It just makes economic sense and it helps our environment. Right. And I think that's an interesting point about the economic benefits because certainly I think it's important to have that strong environmental outlook in anything that we do in business as well as personal lives. But it's interesting to hear you say that from a distribution perspective. And again, I know I asked this question of someone who's in distribution, you're not a buyer, you're not managing supplier relations and may have limited control as to the product mix that your buyers bring in. But it's interesting to hear your perspective as a distribution expert in you say in the comment about the waste disposal cost and that if you're recycling, then that goes down and that's good for the bottom line. And I think that's encouraging to hear because it's nice to hear that there's an economic motivation for it beyond just being altruistic and trying to do good for the environment, as well as the promotional products industry too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great thing when you can do something that's good for the environment and help your bottom line. That's a win-win. I've got one more question, Harry, and I know I'd love to leave it off to Robert to maybe ask one or two follow-up questions as we move into the home stretch of this fascinating discussion. So I really appreciate it. Do you have a product mix that is specific to certain markets? Like, will Florida get more vacation-related items? Or is the product mix the same across the country? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm just curious to hear it from a logistics and distribution expert perspective. Yes. The stores do have different product mixes based on the retailer's knowledge and sales data and demand, customer preferences. But at my level in the distribution center, the stores I support pretty much have the same product mix in my region. The main thing I see is from a distribution perspective that impacts is Dollar Tree. 
we are very strong with seasonal items. Right. So before Christmas, you know, we sell a lot of wrap and bows and gift bags and things like that. And then it comes Easter and Mother's Day and, you know, it's one holiday after another. We're very strong with seasonal sales. So all that comes through the distribution pipeline a couple months early. So it doesn't cause me additional work. If the stores have a little bit different product mix, it all comes through the distribution center and it's kind of throughout the year. So that doesn't change. What changes is the seasonal mix. Right. And so as we gear up for Christmas, I'm receiving, you know, big boxes of Christmas wrap. Right. And so they'll take up a lot of room and we sell a lot of them. So it takes a lot of planning and, and coordination and timing. We don't want to get it in there too early. But we want to make sure we get it in early enough to get it to the stores so we don't miss any sales. Right. And we want to make sure it's all out to the stores before Christmas. Right. So the product mix doesn't really present any challenges. It's the seasonal things and planning for that. Right. And it's amazing in retail when you're talking about getting ready for the holiday season. When you say getting to the stores, that's basically the end of October. <laughs> Absolutely. We get really busy come September. Yeah. A lot of the seasonal things we sell are imports. And so they're coming in into the Port of Norfolk being unloaded there and brought over to our distribution center. And we're unloading those starting in September, really. Right. Mark, you and I were kind of marveling at sort of the pros and cons and the flexibility and inflexibility of operating in an environment where everything is going to be a dollar to the consumer. And in some ways, it's, you know, you know exactly as a buyer or a logistics person, you know exactly what you need to do because those parameters are there. But over time, I would think that the fact that, that everything is a dollar would be a bit of a challenge. So, you know, I think the last 10 years have been fairly easy in terms of inflation. So it may have been relatively easy to keep things at a dollar and keep the quality just as good, you know, whether it's efficiencies in sourcing or efficiencies in production. There have been many, many things that have allowed all of us and in our space too. Honestly, I have to say that one of the challenges in, in promotional products is that buyers have come to expect no price increases for you know five or 10 years. And those factors that impact that reality for us obviously impact you all too. But I'm curious what would happen if we did kind of move into more of an inflationary period. To me, it would seem that you all would have a couple options. One would be to look for maybe lower and lower priced, and maybe that means lower and lower quality items, or take lower profits on that dollar. I'm curious how you all see that dollar price point, whether you see it as a constraint or, or something that's liberating or maybe a little bit of both. I would say it's a little bit of both. At Dollar Tree, we pride ourselves on the incredible bargains that our buyers are able to find and sell for a dollar. And for now, I would say the company's committed to sticking to that price point. It really differentiates us from our competition. But we are constantly looking at evaluating ways to best meet the needs of the customers. And we have experimented with multiple price points in the past, and we continue to do those testings. The CEO talked about it just today on our earnings call. We are doing some multiple price point tests in some stores. But it all depends on how we best support the customer and, and meet their needs. And if inflation jumps in and, and the market changes, I would say we are ready to move to a multiple price point scheme. But right now, we're uh, planning on sticking with the dollar price point. That's been successful. Our customers love it. And we're going to continue trying to do that as long as possible. Fantastic. Thank you. Harry, I've been dying to ask all episode, what is the top skew in your warehouse network? 
Tough question. It's probably either paper towels or bleach. <laughs> we sell a lot of that, which would have surprised me if you asked me. But from what I see flowing through the distribution center, it's some sort of paper towel. Really? Or uh, bleach. Big sell. Yeah. Harry, is it a house brand or is it one of the, the big, big fellas? It's a mix. Again, our buyers are they're incredible resourceful in finding good buys and deals. And we get, you know, top brand name products and we also get house brands coming through. So it, it's a mix. The SKU mix continually evolves. And I think that's what makes it exciting for the customer. And I was in a store just the other day in the line on a Saturday. An older lady behind me just started chatting, and she was so excited on the different products that she found in the store. And she had no idea I worked for Dollar Tree, but she, oh, look what I found. I can't believe they had this for a dollar, and, and they usually are out of this one, but I'm so glad they had it in. And it just made me realize what we do every day is not just about shipping boxes. You know, it's making people's lives a little easier and, and providing what they need. And it just kind of validated the hard work that my 300 associates and, and managers do every day to make that happen. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful way of ending it. And it's something that we've really found at Promo Kitchen is this power of storytelling in our own industry, in the promotional products industry, and in that, you know, at the very worst side of our business, promotional products distributors are trinkets and trash peddlers as I say, that the absolute very worst. And that's a reputation that we're very hard at work to completely change and throw out. And, you know, if I draw a parallel to what you just said, Harry, I mean, some people might look at your job and say, you're just a guy who's shipping boxes, albeit at a massive scale, how exciting or impactful could that be? But of course, what you just mentioned in terms of the impact that you're having on your customers' lives, and whether it's saving them money, whether it's driving more convenience for them, so they've got more time to spend with their families, whatever the case may be, it's just kind of neat to see how we can create this higher meeting, this higher purpose and what it is that we're doing. And I think that's a wonderful way of ending off the podcast. Yes. I always try to stress to my associates, you're part of something bigger. You know, it's not just a job and not just moving boxes. You're part of something bigger. And I love your two mandates of promo kitchen, the education piece and the mentorship piece. And yeah. so keep charging. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the promo kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.